Andrew. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, just mentioned briefly, I heard from Daphne um, yesterday. They are doing really well. They arrived safely as well. And um, Phil's been teaching on deliverance. They travelled about five hours to get to some church in the back end of nowhere. And I think they were pretty exhausted. But you've probably heard more, you guys. But um, it was good to hear from them. And I know... Um, they're having an amazing time sharing testimonies and praying for people. So it'd be great to hear from them when they get back. But this morning, um, I have a message for you that I really feel the Lord's been putting on my heart. Uh, it's been over a good few weeks, actually. He's been speaking to me about this. Uh, and it's about truth. And I feel like he's wanting us to just really think about what truth is. And, and really why it's so vital for us as Christians not to deny truth. But before we get to that, I'm just going to um, share a little story. I haven't heard this story for decades, um, but I've been reminded of it in the past few weeks. And it's actually the, the uh, fairy tale, the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, The Emperor's New Clothes. I'm sure you'll remember it. If you don't know it, I'm going to remind you of it. And it's the story of a very vain emperor who cares nothing about wearing and showing off the finest clothes. He wants to look fabulous all the time. And he hires two weavers who promise him the finest suits of clothes he's ever worn in his life. And they tell him there's something very special about these clothes. That when you wear them, they won't be able to be seen by anyone who is either unfit for their position or they're hopelessly stupid. Along come the emperor's ministers and they're looking at him and they can't see the clothes, but they know what the weavers have said. Is that better? Adjust my... Sorry. They know what the the weavers have said. They can't see these clothes, but rather than say what's in front of them, they just go along with the pretense. The emperor's also taken in. He puts it on, this suit, and he's going, wow, this is amazing, because he doesn't doesn't want to be seen to be unfit for his position either, and he certainly doesn't want to be considered stupid. So they finish the suit, it's the, the last day, he walks down the street in front of all the townsfolk and he's marching in broad daylight completely naked before everyone. Even the townsfolk have heard about this amazing special suit and they can't, um, they can't see anything either but they're just cheering and waving and going along with it. And then out of nowhere there's this little boy And he just points at the emperor and he says, that man's wearing no clothes. (laughs) The emperor suspects that that might be true, but he still continues walking, absolutely naked before everyone. Now, we reckon this is just a fairy tale, but I think Hans Christian Andersen had some very deep prophetic insight into our world today, even though it was written back in 1837. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about why I think that's the case. On an American human rights website, it asks a question about children. And this question is about children as young as four or five who are presenting as transgender. 
I won't go into the detail of the question, it doesn't matter for what I'm going to say, but the response to the question that's posed on this website is, the concept that you can only be one gender your whole life, and that gender is determined based on your genitals at birth, is becoming outdated. This is a national human rights organization in the US. And yes, you heard correctly, it's a viewpoint that's been gaining ground for some time, the idea that a person is either male or female is somehow old hat. I'm sure many of you may also have come across various press reports about schools that are struggling with kids uh, quite young turning up, they may be struggling with some of these issues, and they're, um, they're presenting as a different gender identity guidance being released in the UK, in our country, in this day and age, to our schools, is telling the schools, the head teachers and those in authority, that if a, a pupil identifies with the opposite gender to the one that they were born, then that is their true identity. Note the word true there. And just before anybody thinks that I don't have heart or compassion in this area, I want to say I feel absolute deep compassion and empathy towards anyone experiencing gender dysphoria. That's the term that is used for people who are really struggling. It's like a mismatch between a person's feelings uh, about their identity and their actual biological sex. I believe we should respond in love, with respect, and the utmost care. But as people called to love God and called to love others, aren't we also supposed to speak the truth? And a male who wears women's clothes, makeup, who may have undergone gender reassignment surgery, who may have taken hormone therapy, with the best will in the world, is not female. He is at best a feminized male. This statement, in my opinion, is not unloving, it's not uncaring, it's not un intolerant, but it is the truth. But are we prepared to say it? Do we submit to the pressure that is increasing around us in our culture with the secular guidance? The secular guidance that he's saying if a boy turns up at school and presents as a girl, then he is actually a girl. If we disagree and we stand for truth, you can be sure that in today's society we risk being branded a bigot, intolerant, unloving, and depending upon the context, also accused of unlawful discrimination. And as a Christian, I am immediately challenged by these issues, especially so when these views are being imposed on our children, the very ones we're supposed to protect. Our society is even being asked to accept as normal medical treatment for children when they're struggling in this area, that they be treated with hormones that prevent them developing uh, and going through normal puberty and preventing the development of their normal biological sex. It's been said by an eminent professor of psychiatry, I won't say his name, but that this is the equivalent of tre treating a severely anorexic person who, a child who, who believes that they, he or she is severely obese with liposuction. 
It's like the equivalent of that. But the fact that in some way our gender identity is determined by feelings ignores the very basic and beautiful truth that God created us either male or female. In other words, it's God that decides our gender, not man. Our gender is not dependent upon feelings, it's dependent upon biological fact. But despite that, there are many that would have us believe, often for very compassionate reasons, that it's better to affirm the lie, just like the emperor's ministers did in our fairy tale, rather than speak truth. The lie that gender is something that a person can choose according to his or her feelings is just one of the many deceptive schemes that the enemy is permeating in our society today. And I, I believe that it's a very calculated attack on the identity of human beings who are created in the image of God, both male and female. And so with that backdrop, I think it's vitally important, that's why I believe the Lord's speaking about it, that we, first of all, we examine what truth actually is and that we don't fall into that trap of trying to interpret what it is. Um, interpret truth because of how we feel. And so, as I said at the beginning, I want to look at truth and I want to look at why that's so vital. So let me read from John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 29 to 38. This is a portion of scripture, you'll be very familiar with it. It's when Jesus is brought before Pilate and he's facing charges uh, against him. I'm going to read the whole section of it, but um, it's really the end bit that I'm going to home in on. So it's chapter 18, verse 29 to 38. If you've got a Bible, pick it up. be great. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? I am a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. What is truth? I don't believe Pilate asked him that question because he really wanted to know the answer. I think he was, he was putting it up as a defense so that he could just exonerate himself from what was happening. And I've met a fair few philosophy students over the years who've grappled with this question, but it's clear that the world really doesn't have an answer to this question. You've probably heard the view that there's no absolute truth, that everything is relative to something else and that it actually can't be any actual reality. 
This thinking just inevitably concludes to there being no right or wrong at all, just situational ethics, whatever feels good or not at any particular time happens to be the reality. The very statement, of course, that there is no absolute truth is totally illogical because it's an absolute truth. So this postmodern thinking has completely infiltrated our culture in very powerful ways. I have friends, work colleagues, family members who all subscribe to it. And it's a mindset that prides itself on tolerating everything unless, of course, you happen to have a belief in the absolute truth who is the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus had already answered Pilate's question about what is truth earlier on in John 14, in verses 2 to 6. Jesus is talking with his disciples. He's just told them he's going to die and he won't be around much longer. They're deeply troubled by this. They're very fearful and they want to know where he's going. And Jesus responds with one of the most profound sentences in the whole of scripture. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus doesn't describe truth. He doesn't come at it with some intellectual foundation, set of abstract facts and philosophies. He says, I am truth, the living truth. He's the plumb line against which all truth is found. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have absolutely no clue of understanding what truth is. It can't be understood outside of him because he was born to bear witness to the truth. We see that in John 18, in verse 37, Jesus said, I came into the world to testify to the truth. So God knew that in the heart of every human being would be a desire to understand and know what truth is. And he satisfied our desire to know that truth in the most utterly brilliant and radical way in the person of Jesus. It's not thoughts, it's a very personality, it's who he is. Well, the scripture doesn't just say Jesus is truth. Go to John 17, 17. And it tells us that the word of God is also truth. Jesus is praying for his disciples and he asks the Father to, to sanctify his disciples by the truth. And he makes the statement, your word is truth. So it's not just Jesus himself who is truth. The word of God is also truth. And there's never ever a contradiction between the word and Jesus himself. Right from the very begin of beginning of time, Jesus and his word were in full alignment. Scripture tells us even more about truth. John, in the first epistle of John, 1 John 5 verse 6, it says this, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water alone, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. So the Spirit referred to in this passage is, of course, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the truth. John 16, verses 13 and 14, it says, He is the Spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. Holy Spirit is the one who gives us revelation of who Jesus is. We depend upon the Holy Spirit to give us that. 
We can't even begin to understand truth without first believing. So we access Jesus through faith. And we understand Jesus through the word of God. This word of God isn't just a set of words on the page. It reveals Jesus Christ to us. And we get that understanding through revelation of the Holy Spirit. So those three things Derek Prince talks about as the three coordinates. I love his teaching. He's a phenomenal Bible teacher. He calls Jesus and the word of God and the Holy Spirit like the three coordinates of truth, of understanding what truth is. You can't understand it with just one of those things. You have to have all three together to get that revelation. If you think it's about intellect, when you're arguing with any philosophy student, just don't even bother. So from that foundation of what truth is, I want us to explore, therefore, why, why does it matter so much? Does why am I even why has God been having me weep and pray over this issue of transgenderism in our society? Why has he been breaking my heart about what we're doing to our kids? Why does it matter so much? And I think it matters because actually these issues are not just present-day issues, but issues of eternal importance. Because when we deny the truth, really we lie. There's no grey in truth. There is no middle ground. All untruth is actually a lie and it emanates from the devil. He's the father of lies. lies. When we lie, we choose, we are actively, whether we care to think about it or not, we're actually choosing to partner with the demonic. We're empowering the father of lies in our life. We open the door to deception, to uh, distortion, and to destruction. He is destroying lives. We must not be naive about these issues. On the other hand, when we believe the truth, we act like our father. Truth is a major constituent and and, uh, of the character and nature of who God is. And so we become more like him. God absolutely detests everything that's not true. He has to. It's impossible for him to lie. Psalm 51 tells us that God desires truth in our inward parts. You remember that scripture? That's the one when... David's just committed adultery and he's, he's just repenting and weeping before the Lord and he's, he knows that God knows what's in his heart, the very core of what's inside of him. So it's not just the bits on the outside that have to be true, it's the bits that we don't allow people to see. But left to our own devices, human beings want a worldview that doesn't hold them to account in any way. They want to make decisions not based on truth, but based upon what their feelings tell them, whether they feel good or not. But 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10 says that it's knowing the truth that prevents us from perishing. So that's what I was saying at the beginning when I was saying these issues are of eternal importance because it's truth according to that scripture that prevents us from perishing. It's a knowledge of the truth that leads us to being saved in the first place so that we're no longer deceived and we can receive knowledge and be saved. You see, truth deals with the inner bits of us. It roots out deception. It roots out falsehood. It roots out mockery. It stops us pretending when things are okay. It stops us pretending it's all right to meet with a member of the opposite sex in a restaurant or in a bar 
when our husband or wife don't know anything about it. It stops us from pretending that an unborn child is just a blob of cells when we're considering abortion. It stops us from justifying our pornography habit by saying, but we're not harming anyone. And it stops us from exaggerating things just to make us look better. It stops us taking stationery from the office. And maybe more, most important of all of those, it stops us from believing that we are insignificant or worthless or that God doesn't have a plan for our life. You see, we can't just go to meetings, turn up at church, sit on the chairs, say a few prayers, sing a few songs. If our inward life is not right before God. Sorry. You're all right, honey. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay, don't worry. It's all right, sweetie, don't worry. You see, if our inward life is not right before God, that's not living by faith. It's not trusting in the promises of God. It's just religion. In my experience, God deals with us in ever-increasing ways. <laughs> just when you think you've sorted one issue, he deals with another one. Maybe you've got a judgment against somebody or there's a wrong assumption or there's unbelief. It just gets rooted up. And as we're new believers, we get let off many things. But the more mature we are in our faith and the longer we walk with Christ, I can assure you that the Holy Spirit is meticulous at drawing these things out in us. There's no room for justifying white lies. Another reason it's so vitally important, and we've sung about it this morning, is because that when we step into truth and we don't deny it, we step into freedom. John 8, 31, 32, it's a brilliant verse. It says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and that the truth will set you free. So when we tolerate untruths because it feels good or it's more comfortable or because it's less confrontational, or maybe just because we're fearful, we actually, in that moment, we're choosing to step away from freedom. And the devil is an expert at counterfeit freedom. He's really, really, really good at counterfeit freedom. Addiction is one of the most powerful ways he demonstrates counterfeit freedom. He says, here's a way to block pain. And it's one of the biggest lies he tempts us by saying, choose this way and that way. Do what feels good in the moment. Go with it. You'll be happy. You don't need to be accountable to God or anyone else. But he's a liar. He is a liar and it's a trap. You see, Jesus is the only one who sets us free from sin. When we come to know Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. We're set free to love God, love others, and live transparent lives. 
You see, the beauty of truth is it helps us to live transparently, not just before God, but before each other. We know each other's stuff. We don't need to hide. We don't need to wear masks in front of people. We come to the Lord, we receive forgiveness, and it's all out there. It develops relationships in a way that no other thing can done can do. It's what bonds us together when we, we live transparently before one another, knowing that we're set free. But we mustn't think that truth is just something that's always hanging around in the background, pointing out when we're doing things wrong. It's also just the most precious thing of pointing out what is beautiful in our lives. <laughs> Freedom is one of those things. And you know, I remember a time at the end of last year in 2000, and actually it wasn't last year, year before, 2014, I was in the States and I was, um, I had the beach was right at the end of my road and I'd gone out just, I was just walking along the beach looking out to the ocean and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, I wasn't praying, I wasn't worshipping, but I suppose I was thinking of just thinking about the Lord, and the Holy Spirit just came, and he landed on me. And he, it was like I experienced in that mo moment the most precious freedom I have ever experienced in my life. I literally felt free. It was like a glimpse of how the Lord wants us to live. I didn't have a care in the world in that moment. I knew I was utterly free in Christ. And I believe that's one of the benefits of just, of just knowing truth, knowing that person who is truth. It was utterly beautiful. And, you know, he sets us free from fear. He sets us free from living our life to please others. He sets us free from the fear of missing out and... In my opinion, FOMO, as I call it, um, is rife in the church. There's like this running around from conference to conference. And I love conferences. It's awesome. But actually, a lot of what's empowering that is a fear of missing out on something. It's not a real Holy Spirit direction to go sometimes. I've certainly been challenged by that and had to repent it also gives us freedom from having to agree with others. We don't have to agree with guidance that's telling us that a boy is a girl and a girl is a boy. We don't have to agree with that. It's not the truth. And, you know, Scripture in Titus 1.1 tells us that um, it's Paul. He describes himself as a servant of God for the faith of God's elect but that knowledge of truth will lead to godliness. And, you know, when I hear that word godliness, I'm just thinking, crikey, you know, it doesn't even really even conjure up in me something that I want. It's got this funny old connotation attached to it in our society that someone would be godly. What is that? Well, we know what it is. But God's not just dealing with those things in us that need to change. He's building up, as I said, those things in us that are beautiful. Godliness is beautiful. It's a far cry from anything that's false, anything that's not absolutely transparent, anything that's not true. And it's a place where we can just know who we are and know what God thinks about us. When we become lovers of the truth, we hate 
anything that is false. And then just, just finally, on those reasons why it's so important we don't deny truth, is that actually in that moment we're elevating an idol above Jesus. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So in effect, what we're doing is we're bowing down to some other thing, like our pride or our desire for pleasure or comfort. Generally, in our Western world, we're not buying, bowing down to a physical idol, but the idol is us. We're actually saying what we want in that moment is more important than what God says about that situation. It's idolatry. And the result of that is we don't bring glory to Jesus. We're actually honouring ourselves. So, as we just sort of wrap this up, um, I think we shouldn't really be surprised that as Christians that we're persecuted so fiercely when we claim to know the truth because every debate involving truth ultimately has its origin in the person of Jesus Christ and whether or not that individual that you're talking to believes in him. And we know that the words of Jesus are as offensive to the unbelieving mind now as they were on the day when they sent him to be crucified on the cross. So church, my prayer today is that we won't be naive about these things. We won't be we won't allow this slow denial of what truth is in our society to affect the way we think and believe and act as a church. We have to stand up for the word of God. We have to glorify the Lord Jesus and we have to be different. And I do think persecution is coming for the church. What I'm saying, if I said what I've said today at work, I would probably get the sack. truth is that truth is the person of Jesus Christ it is the word of God and it is the Holy Spirit without that truth we perish we step away from freedom into bondage and we walk into idolatry so it's not just a little side issue it's not something we can afford to just slide into carelessly it's of eternal importance so as we, as, we, as we conclude, I'm just going to go back to our fairy tale that I shared at the start and ask you, who in that story do you most relate to? Is it the emperor who was full of pride, who felt deep pleasure and satisfaction with his appearance and the achievements? Was it the weavers? Do you, do you feel like the, you identify with the weavers who who brought deception through lying for personal gain? Do you identify with the emperor's ministers who were actually full of fear and chose not to question the obvious just in case it affected their own personal position?